Welcome back to Us Good People, Cool Things. If you've heard this show before, you know I typically interview entrepreneurs, musicians, and authors about how they've built their brands. You may have also noticed the show went on a bit of a break. That's because I recently got back from a month in Europe. It was perhaps the coolest thing I've ever done. And in the spirit of the show, since I've been told I'm good people, I thought, why not do a little recap of my favorite thing in each city that I visited? It seems like a wonderful idea, so let's get to it. I'm Joey Held. This is Good People, Cool Things. And here's a ton of awesome stuff to do in Europe. All right, we're starting things off with Amsterdam. Technically, my choice for the best thing to do in Amsterdam is outside of the city proper. We're like eight seconds into this itinerary, and I'm already breaking the rules. What a rebel. This is also a tough thing to recommend because it's open only about seven weeks out of the year. Next year, for example, this place is open from March 21st to May 12th. But the Kuchenhof Gardens are absolutely worth visiting. Here's what you can expect. Tulips. A lot of them. You might approach this the same way that I did and be like, tulips? How good can that be, really? The answer is quite very incredibly good, truly. You'll walk through nearly 100,000 acres of beautifully manicured gardens with other accoutrements like lakes, waterfalls, music boxes, and a whole lot more. I could feel my jaw drop with each new area I walked into. You think, tulips, mm, seen them. Then you turn, you're like, whoa, this is different. (laughs) Then you turn again, oh, This is out of control. Fantastic. And if you're like me and need a goofy photo everywhere you go, they have enormous Dutch clogs in front of a giant windmill. You can fit about four people inside of a single clog, which does make for a great picture. And you can also buy tiny clogs as a fun souvenir. Just don't lose them because they are very tiny. From Amsterdam, it's just about a two-hour train ride to Brussels. And is it foolish that my favorite memory of Brussels is around food? No. Not at all. Here was my agenda coming into the city. Eat Belgian waffles. Eat Belgian chocolate. Eat Belgian frites. I accomplished all three of those many, many times. The final night of the stay, I stood in line for nearly an hour at Mason Antoine. Anytime I have to wait a long time for food, and we're talking an hour or more here, the place is already at a disadvantage. I want to hate it. I'm begging to hate it. Like, give me the reason. And you have just the long wait. Then, after about 40 minutes of standing in line, it started pouring rain. I wasn't able to get fully under the tiny awning that was right by the restaurant, so I just had to take it as raindrops pelted me from every direction. So now I'm annoyed, and I'm wet. I had every reason to hate this place. Finally, get up to the front, place the order, and I can finally eat. A mitrelette which is a giant baguette loaded with fries, fried meat, sauce, and in some cases, cheese, crudités like carrots, lettuce, and tomato. It's an exercise in gluttony, and I was all about it. After being drenched in the rain, it was just what I needed, and now it's my mission to somehow open a Mitrelet food truck to serve this glory in the U.S. Because, oh my goodness, my mouth is watering just thinking about it. There's a 2008 film called In Bruges that stars Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson and was written by Martin McDonough. When The Banshees of Inishirin came out last year and reunited that trio, it made me want to revisit In Bruges. As it turns out, I didn't get to see the movie until after my trip when I was on the plane ride back home. But that's okay because I got to experience the beauty of Bruges up close. Bruges is about 45 minutes from Brussels, and as the movie notes, it feels like you're in a fairy tale. Even though Colin Farrell hates Bruges, 
throughout the entire movie. That's not a spoiler. It happens like eight minutes into the film. I thought it was a very charming town. I was on Brendan Gleeson's side. It's a very charming town with activities like boating through canals, riding on horseback throughout the streets, an entire wall of beers, and yes, you get to sample all of them, a torture museum, and more. Okay, the last one is maybe less charming, but it was still cool to see how different countries have evolved over the years. In some places, torturing people was still legal like 20 years ago. That's insane. The absolute best part of Bruges, though, is the gorgeous Belfry Tower. It's 367 steps up to the top, so you'll be huffing and puffing like the little engine that could, and it's narrow, so you got to get out of the way of people going up or down opposite direction of you. But it is so, so worth it to see the landscape just overlooking the entire town and neighboring towns. It truly is a spectacular view. And while you're up there, you might hear the clock go off, and you get to see all the mechanics of this old clock tower going on. One small note, though, in the movie, a trip up to the Belfry Tower costs five euros per person. This year, it's 15 euros per person. Inflation is real, y'all. All right, we're changing countries into Germany here, specifically Hamburg, Germany. If the Belfry Tower makes you feel small, the miniature wonderland makes you feel huge because literally everything in here is, well, it's miniature and it's constantly moving. There are trains going throughout the multi-story building. Live concerts happening with musician figures rocking the night away. And my favorite of all, a fully functioning miniature airport with departure and arrival screens, taxiing, and dramatic takeoffs and landings where the planes fly through a portion of the wall. While I was watching this airport scene, an airplane that was hanging out in the side of the runway caught on fire and several fire trucks and workers came to put the flames out. This wasn't a glitch in the matrix or anything. This was a planned thing that happens here. The attention to detail is insane. There was also an Easter-themed train where the steam engine was a giant rabbit, and a VR world where you got shrunk down and have to traverse around the globe and do ridiculous things. Oh, it was good times. But I have one gripe about the miniature wonderland here. There's several major countries that are represented. They get their own landscapes. America is represented by the desert and Las Vegas. I get that Vegas is super gaudy and everything, and it's a fantastic recreation. I was in Vegas earlier this year and very spot on. I was like, I recognize the strip, everything on there. But if that's what foreigners are seeing of the US, woof. Not too far from Hamburg is Berlin that has a lot of fun things that are free to do. Just walking along the streets toward the Brandenburg Gate is super cool. And at nighttime, you might find people dancing alongside it. Plus, it just looks super impressive all lit up. You're also right next to a government building that's got a cool globe on the top of it. It's all fantastic. Checkpoint Charlie and the topographies of terror are a bit more somber. They represent the Berlin Wall and the atrocities of the Nazi party, respectively, but they're both very educational and worth visiting too. But if I had to pick one highlight, Tempelhofer Feld, pretty groovy. Tempelhof Airport operated from 1923 to 2008 and has an extensive history. During the Cold War, it was the main airport for American military to enter West Berlin. Pilot Gail Halvorsen, also known as the Berlin Candy Bomber, what a great name, would drop candy for children via parachute shortly before he landed his planes. And today, Tempelhof Airport, you might have noticed I said it operated until 2008. So for the past decade and a half, it's been Tempelhofer Feld spanning 355 hectares of the site of the former airport. It's the largest inner city open space in the entire world and Berlin's largest park by far. And what you see here depends on how much of the park you check out. On one side, 
There was a mini golf course with holes designed by local artists, a lot of recycled metals and kind of reusing things for the holes, which is super cool. A small museum you could climb on top of to get a bit of an aerial view of things, some sports fields, and an area full of circus tents. Feeling really bold? You can also get yelled at by someone working there not to walk into a circus tent. That happened to me. Hey, when I see an open flap of a circus tent, my curiosity gets the best of me. The other side of the park is an expansive open space. I walked the entire length of one of the runways and saw about five other humans the entire time. However, I did get to witness a dog herding sheep at a nearby farm and learned about some of the native birds and bugs that live in the area. And I saw a man flying a kite significantly better than I ever have. It was a very, very peaceful spot. In busier seasons, Tempelhofer Feld occasionally hosts concerts. So if you are planning to stop by, make sure there doesn't happen to be a show going on or you will find it to be very unpeaceful. Of all the cities I went to, Prague is my favorite. I'm already planning the next trip back. Unlike many neighboring countries, it didn't suffer nearly as much damage during the World War. So you still have so many ancient buildings and sculptures all around town. I just remember marveling and saying, wow, almost everywhere I walked, whether it was seeing the gate between the old town and new town, stumbling upon the hanging sculpture of King Wenceslas riding an upside down horse. It's real weird. And I loved it. I'm going to put a picture in the show notes because this is just such a weird sculpture. Ah, wonderful. However, my favorite part of Prague is Prague Castle, which is the largest ancient castle in the world, spans nearly 750,000 square feet, and that's a Guinness Book of World Records fact, so you know it's a legit one. You have to walk up a ton of steps to get to the castle, and there are a couple of places where it's a super tight squeeze, but once you get to the top, oh, you have so much room to walk around. Gothic St. Vitus Cathedral, the Romanesque Basilica of St. George, a monastery, several palaces, gardens, defense towers. You got so much to see when you're up there. Even if you don't go in anything, you'll still be in awe just looking at all of these majestic buildings. Or if you look outward, you see a gorgeous view of Prague. Prague is divided by a river, so there's multiple bridges going across. You just got so many cool views everywhere you turn. At one point, I was one of four people in a row who stumbled over a small step in the pathway that we didn't see. It was maybe six inches off the ground. We each walked into it, tripped, looked back, laughed, saw that the person behind us also tripped, laughed together at our slight misfortune. Proof that no matter where you're from, it's still easy to be clumsy. And I like that. I like that sense of togetherness. Also, one special shout out to the Museum of Steel Figures, which features pop culture icons made from recycled metal. We got the Minions, Simpsons, Star Wars Universe, Marvel superheroes. They all made appearances. Even Wally was there. Wally. Love it. Foolishly, I took a bus from Prague to Vienna, and I was, I'd say, about 32 seconds away from missing this bus entirely because the way to get there was a little complicated to get onto the bus. But thankfully, Two different groups of people were having tearful goodbyes with each other. So a lot of long hugs, a lot of uh, grabbing faces, a lot of you're going to do great things out in the world. And that gave me enough time to get on the bus. So thank you to those people. I'm glad you have people in your life that care about you. That is wonderful. Vienna, meanwhile, has a ton of cool places to scope out. And it is pastry central. If you have any inkling to nom on a Sasha Torte a chocolate cake, I probably butchered that pronunciation, or an apple strudel, you most definitely should come to Vienna. I ate at Mozart's Cafe and ordered multiple pastries and 
hot chocolate with whipped cream and pistachio sauce. That was after I ate a baklava and an Oreo blueberry cheesecake earlier in the day at a street market. No regrets, though, because I walked it all off at Prater Veen, an amusement park a little outside the city center. This park is set up like a classic county fair, but it is significantly bigger. There's no entry fee to get inside, but each individual ride costs money. Now, some of these rides are a little wackadoodle-doo for me. There's a roller coaster where the car is on the side of the track instead of on top of it, and it just clunkily drops you and shakes you as you move across the next track, and then it clunkily drops you again, shakes you. I was watching some people go on it and said, this looks very unenjoyable, and half of that group's friends were on the ground next to me. And they said, I agree, that looks very unenjoyable. And then we enjoyed watching the unenjoyableness together. They've also got those spinning cars, you know, where you're like kind of going up and down, you're just getting twirled around a lot. It's like the spinning teacups, but times 40. Just looks like a recipe for vomiting. I don't have a strong stomach. Trying to stay away from that. But I did find a few things that were more my speed. The Ferris wheel was lovely and gave me a wonderful view of what I can only imagine was 100% of Austria. The big slide where you lie in a burlap sack and go down a few rolling hills, that was quite relaxing, although the attendant would not record me going down. I thought that would be a fun little video. She was like, no, I have to man the booth here. There's no one else in the neighboring vicinity. She could have easily done it, but I digress. I also sat in a car and rode through a haunted house that had me smiling the whole time, except when the guy running the ride, he got me at the end by just holding a haunted mask in his hands and saying boo. So maybe I am more easily scarable than I thought I was. From Vienna, it's a smooth little train ride over to Salzburg, where you absolutely want to get the Salzburg card. As of this recording, it's either 27 or 30 euros for one day, or it's 35 or 39 euros for two days. And what does this card get you? Basically everything. I got to see Mozart's birthplace. I toured the opera house. I took a boat tour where at the end, the boat does a waltz as it gets back to the dock. I visited a fortress and got to see how Salzburg used to defend itself. I visited a palace that had trick fountains installed with hydraulics nearly 400 years ago that still function today. I went into multiple museums, including a science-centric one that I learned far too late was riddled with children. At least I got to help them learn some stuff about gravity and air pressure. Very key items in life. Oh, and the buses are free to use, too. Since I know many listeners are American, here's a quick conversion, the 39 euro, that's like $42 to do $150 at least worth of activities. I can't imagine a better deal even on extreme couponing or supermarket sweep or anything like that. But perhaps my favorite activity of all was climbing the Untersberg mountain. This is right on the Austrian and German border. And you might recognize it if you've seen The Sound of Music. I had read that it's best to get to the mountain early, so I woke up in time to get the first cable car up the mountain of the day, departing at 8.30 a.m. I was one of six people on the car. Let's count who the other people were. One was the cable car operator. One worked at the restaurant at the top of the hill. Two appeared to be repairmen. The last one was a woman who had a backpack and hiking sticks. Compared to me, who was lucky enough to even have hiking shoes, she was a pro. None of them spoke English, so I enjoyed some jubilant conversation in German without really knowing what was going on. When we reached the top of the mountain, the woman tore off down a different path. It must have been the more advanced one. So I took a leisurely walk up the standard path, which was a path covered in snow and ice. Again, thank you for those hiking shoes. It's hard for me to properly describe the juxtaposition of the view here. To one side, there's a bounty of Swiss Alps. These are the things you probably think of 
when you picture mountains. They're towering behemoths with snow-capped tops, a bit of fog around them adding some intrigue. But to the other side, it was vibrant green rolling fields surrounding Salzburg and the neighboring cities. Truly tremendous. And because I had gone so early, I was the only person on this part of the mountain. I have no idea where the hiking lady went, probably excavating down the mountain. She was probably already back in town. She was so speedy. I spent a good 10 minutes just sitting on a little bench at the edge of the highest point of the mountain, about 1,900 meters above sea level, one of the most serene moments I've ever experienced. Then on the way down, I slipped going down a hill and slid on my butt for a good 8 to 10 seconds. Nothing like soaking wet pants to make you feel alive. And since Salzburg is right on the border of Austria and Germany, we're headed back to Germany with Munich as the next stop. And I'll be real honest, I didn't have a whole lot planned for Munich. I happened to arrive on the last day of Frühlingfest, which is like Oktoberfest, but in the spring. Perhaps you can guess. Frühling means spring in German. Just taught you a word in German. How exciting. It was a delightful spectacle. Lots of games, a beer hall with giant pretzels and live music. The performers did a cheers song once every six minutes or so, and I couldn't get enough of it. I also tried the longest bratwurst I've ever had. The booth claimed it was half a meter long. That's very long. The woman I ordered it from did not understand what I was trying to say, so clearly my German pronunciation needs work. I do think I'm saying Fruhling right, though. I already knew my German was bad. I'm just glad I had several locos confirm it along the way. The next day, I ended up grabbing drinks with my friend Marina, who I hadn't seen in person for like 13 years, but it felt like we had just hung out the other day. You know how you you get that feeling sometimes where you haven't seen someone in a while and then you pick up right where you left off and it's wonderful? So I asked her, where else should I go? I've got a half day. Where should I go? She suggested Olympia Park, which is where the Olympics were held in 1972, and you can still walk around the village. Sadly, I did not get to test my medal by running a 100-yard dash, though I did get to wander underneath a giant scoreboard and clock, which is kind of the same thing. And there's an observation deck on the grounds, too, with a super-fast elevator that'll pop your ears right in a jiffy. I rode up with a family of three, and we chatted a bit because they could speak English, so we understood each other. The dad told me they were from one of the Carolinas. I've already forgotten which one. My apologies. And they were just starting their vacation. I asked where else was on their list. And the dad had to confirm with the wife. She's clearly running things around here. Anyway, the view from the top was super cool. When I got back to ground level, I ordered a Nutella and banana crepe and a terrific latte and a fancy clay cup that I had to return, even though I had wanted to order to go. So instead, I sat next to a lake while a goose got close enough that I could have rubbed its head for good luck. Although I imagine rubbing a goose's head would probably result in several cuts and the need for stitches, which seems like the opposite of good luck. I only spent a day in Lucerne and probably only got about 45 minutes of clear skies, but it's a stupendously beautiful town. Unfortunately, the massive lion monument, which I was most excited to see, was undergoing renovations. So instead, I got a beautiful view of scaffolding that mostly obscured the lion. A bit bummed, I headed into the nearby Gletschergarten, which has an extensive history of earth materials and minerals, you know, like glaciers. There were many interactive exhibits, and I scored a super cool picture in the giant mirror maze, even though I was petrified of children running into my kneecaps around every corner. I did witness two crash right into each other. Less than ideal, but they seemed like tough cookies. They bounced off each other. They're rubber, not glue all that good stuff. Right before the exit, you can walk past some funhouse mirrors. I knew I had long legs, but this is ridiculous. Okay, I'm making it sound like the only thing this place had was mirrors. That's not true. There is other stuff to do. You can climb a castle, you can walk on bridges, eat in an Italian restaurant, get some ice cream. There's lots of good stuff to do in Lucerne, and it's super photogenic, especially when there's the clear skies out there. 
My last stop was in Zurich, and I'd love to just cheat and say fondue was my favorite part of the trip, because holy moly, Swiss fondue, phenomenal. The front desk gal at the hotel, she said, don't do fondue. It's a winter dish, and you're here in the spring. Get raclette instead, which is like cheese on a plate. It's not a bowl of cheese. It's just on a plate. So it's similar, but it's like, it's not the same thing. And then I thought about it the next day. Ma'am, it's barely 50 degrees and raining the entire time I'm here. I'm going to have fondue. And I was very glad I did, though unfortunately I did not have a wheelbarrow to ferry myself home. The circus knee was in town when I visited, so I picked up tickets despite thinking to myself, you know, I'm not really sure if I like the circus. After the first act of the show, I thought, okay, I guess I do like the circus if it's in Switzerland. Despite having one of the worst seats in the house, not only was I behind the stage, I was also up against a wall. I was blown away by almost everything in the first act. One of my favorite highlights was a group of acrobats jumping rope, but some of the people jumping rope were standing on top of other people. So at one point, we had a guy jumping rope. He's double dutching. And on his shoulders was a guy on stilts who had another guy on his shoulder. So they were both jumping over these double ropes. It was insanity. I was just like, please do not fall. I'll be so sad if you do. They did not fall. They were flawless. Great stuff all around. The Swiss circus also allows horses. So we saw a few horse tricks. There was a man leading a horse around a stage while a boy, presumably his son, maybe just a lookalike, I don't know, led a small pony around the stage. The horse stood its front legs on a small platform, so only its hind legs were on the ground. And the small pony did figure eights underneath the horse. My heart melted like a bowl of fondue. The horseman, and I mean the trainer, not Bojack Horseman, then brought out 22 different horses and separated them by their color. So we had light brown, dark brown, white, black, then had them each run around in unique patterns. So you had like the light browns on the outside going one way, then the white ones on the inside going a different way. The black ones were kind of like weaving in and out. Dark brown had no idea what they were doing. I was just like, if one of these horses gets spooked, we're in real trouble. They didn't though. And it was a great show. I will say, though, the second act of the show, not as impressive. About half of it was a stand-up comedian and multiple bits featuring the MC, and all of that was in German. The guy next to me, though, who, when I first came, I was headed to my seat. He got up and politely said, bitte, which means please, so I could go to my seat. He was cracking up the whole time at both the comedian and the MC. so I guess if you understand German well, you'd probably get a kick out of that as well. I did not, though, so I was just like, ha, I have to fake my way laughing through all of this. I will also say the Zurich airport, very nice. It's where I flew out of to get back home to Austin, Texas, and now we're here making good people cool things. Again, if you ever get a chance to take a month off, I would highly suggest going to Europe, but even if you just have a week or two, there's so many cool things to do. It's so easy to get around via train, just an absolutely stupendous time, but I'm excited to be back because we've got so much more content coming up on Good People, Cool Things. Not this episode. This episode's about to be done. But in the future, we have a lot of fun entrepreneurs, authors, musicians talking about all of the great stuff that they're working on. It's going to be very helpful for you two to get whatever your next creative project is. That's all coming up. I hope you've got a great summer in store for you, and I hope that I can make it a little bit better. Thanks, as always, for listening. Of course, We will still end with a corny joke, as we always do. A man is at the funeral of his dear old friend. He nervously walks up to the man's wife and asks whether he can say a word. The widow nods and says, of course. The man clears his throat and goes, plethora. The widow smiles. Thank you. 
That means a lot. Get after it today, people. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Ooh.